Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I wanted to talk tonight about uh, praise and blame. <clears throat> and uh, as often happens, the uh, the impetus for uh, for the subject is um, just something that uh, has came up in my life uh, the last few days. <clears throat> it's where I get a lot of my material, you know, <laughs> what's going on in my life and in my mind, and hopefully uh, it'll be something that others can relate to. Um, so being in in uh, the Dharma seat, um, a lot of um, gratitude, a lot of uh, appreciation um, comes your way, just because it's it's the Dharma that is using this mouth to share, but still people can both be uh, very appreciative and also think that oh, well, that's where the wisdom is, but it's just really, I'm speaking for all of us. And if you hear something that makes sense to you, um, not to get deceived into thinking, oh, that person's so wise, I wish I could be that wise. It's just touching a place in you that's saying, yeah, right on, that's it. So there's the wisdom. It's just kind of finding itself. But as is human, we... We both feel gratitude and can project one way or the other. So, um, and this this is one of the practices of being in the Dharma seat to take people's gratitude and receive it graciously and not take it personally, um, but just see that we're part of a of a uh, a cycle of of sharing teachings and there's also the possibility that people will project uh the other side of the coin like who does he think he is you know or um that was really painful or hurtful when this I heard this, or um, you know, this is just this not my cup of tea. So I had uh, an event um, recently that um, seemed to go pretty well, and a number of people at the end of the event came up and expressed their deep uh, appreciation and gratitude. Um, and also in the interim, uh, a, a few a few times in the last couple of days, you know, people have said, "Oh, something that I said was was helpful or impactful." Um, and I, my practice, as much as anything, is to really take it, it let it land, instead of saying, "Oh, that's nice," because uh, I can I can also go that route and uh, appreciate, but not. I don't like to deflect, but sometimes 
I, I don't really take it in, and that's not as um, as helpful for for people. So that's a practice of mine to really connect and just be uh, feel their open heartedness, and and uh, um, it com- kind of completes the circuit when when somebody is is grateful to you and appreciative for you for anything you've done. Um, you receiving their appreciation is really a gift because then it feels like there's a true connection and it, it keeps on opening up the heart. And we've talked about receiving graciously here a number of times. Um, and I got an, uh, an email from somebody um, yesterday uh, mentioning this, uh, their experience on uh, about this event, it said, um, "Use the words um, utterly uh, banal and uh, completely irrelevant to where where they were," and uh, just went on a bit about how disappointing it was to them. And, uh, you know, you get so used to just doing an okay job and saying, you know, when people are appreciative and okay, you don't take it personally, you know. But when you get one of those, it's like, whoa, okay. And I'm, uh, I, I haven't sent, it, sent a response yet. I wanted to write it out first and wait a day just to make sure that it was... <laughs> It was as gracious as it could possibly be because that's that's the you know the, I figure if if one can be gracious after receiving an email like that then it's um, you know it dis, as the Buddha has this expression disarm disarms all hostility so that's that's my my um, task for myself. <clears throat> so I've written it. I, I haven't clicked the send button just yet. I want to see what it looks like tomorrow when I wake up. But since it was still reverberating, uh, I thought I'd talk a bit about the subject of praise and blame. It is interesting how you can have so many positive experiences and then one negative experience lands. I, I heard about this, this study that um, for every negative experience, it takes seven positive experiences to kind of overcome that reverberation. <clears throat> so I'm counting, but... Uh, <laughs> No, and actually, and I figured you know, speaking speaking about it is one good way to process it. Um, but um, it was, um, you know, it landed and just kind of reverberating every every now and then. Oh, that was wow! That must have really, as I said in my email, that must have been really a hard experience for you. you know? <clears throat> um, so, um, so what to do with that? First, from, um, from the, the Buddha, it's, it's comforting to know that um, 
No matter how much you have it together, uh, you're going to be subject to not only praise, but blame as well. And here's a couple of stories of the, of the Buddha. You know, the Buddha, as, as inspiring a being as he was, had people who were jealous of him or resentful and wanted to do him in one way or the other. A, f- a couple that actually did try to do him in, but uh, others who would try to um, accuse him of things and uh, uh, have people lose their respect for him. This is one story. I'll just r- read this one. It's so, it's so juicy. <clears throat> As the Buddha went on expounding the Dhamma, more and more people came flocking to him, and the ascetics of other faiths found their following to be dwindling. So they decided to ruin the reputation of the Buddha. They instigated Chinka Manavika, a beautiful pupil of theirs, and told her, if you have our interests at heart, please help us and put the Buddha to shame. She agreed to their plot. That same evening, she took some flowers and went in the direction of the Jetavana Monastery. When people asked her where she was going, she replied, what is the use of you knowing where I'm going? Then she would go to the place of the other ascetics near the Jetavana monastery and would come back early in the morning to make it appear as if she had spent the night at the Jetavana monastery. When asked, she would reply, I spent the night with the Buddha at the monastery. The plot thickens. After three or four months had passed, she wrapped some cloth around her stomach to make herself look pregnant. Then after nine months, she created the impression of a woman in an advanced stage of pregnancy, and she went to the monastery to confront the Buddha. Can you imagine? (laughs) I mean, and if this this is possibly based on some some veracity, can you imagine that? You know, I mean, gosh, it's bad enough what you see every day on CNN or on, uh, on uh, Fox News or N- MSNBC, you know, so-and-so, there's dirt on so-and-so, mm, you know, and two million hits on YouTube in a, in a few moments. But this is the Buddha, right? The Buddha was then expounding the Dhamma to a congregation of bhikkhus and laymen. Seeing him pre- preaching, she accused him. Oh, you big samana. <clears throat> samana. You are clever to preach to others. I am now pregnant by you, yet you do nothing for my confinement. You only know how to enjoy yourself. In Pali, that's called chutzpah. Uh, uh. The Buddha stopped preaching for a while and said to her, Sister, only you and I know whether you are speaking the truth or not. And she replied, Yes, you are right. How can others know what only you and I have done? And then, as these stories sometimes go, at that instant, Saka King of the Devas became aware of the trouble taking place at the 
Jetavana Monastery. So he sent four of his devas in the form of young rats who got under her clothes and bit off the strings that held the cloth around her belly. <laughs> he had some help pulling strings, literally. Yeah. Then, thus her deception was uncovered and, and many from the crowd reprimanded her. Oh, wicked woman, liar and cheat, how dare you accuse our noble teacher? Fearing for her safety, she ran from the monastery as fast as she could. However, as the story goes, after some distance she met with an unfortunate accident and had to face a miserable and untimely death. Mm-hmm. Instant karma. You know, don't mess with the Buddha. Uh, whatever, whatever happened, um, the Buddha had to deal with this. And one other story, famous uh, story that always uh, impressed me. Um, he was um, accused of murdering a woman by, um, by another uh, jealous disciple. <clears throat> uh, and um, the um, non-Buddhists uh, severely uh, criticized the non-people uh, non, uh, not in his sangha severely criticized him um, and the whole sangha uh, to the extent that um, they started to... Um, hold back a bit on their offerings. You know, each day the, the monks go around, uh, alms round, and are dependent on lay people to put something in, in their bowl. And the offerings, as the, the, the um, accusation and rumors were uh, starting to grow, the offerings uh, decreased, and a uh, lot of bad press and gossip around the Buddha. And uh, it got so bad that uh, Ananda, who was the Buddha's attendant, said, um, listen, things are getting really out of hand here. Uh, I think maybe we might go to another village and just move on. You know, this is, his sangha was a very uh, nomadic kind of, uh, it wasn't low localized in any one spot. They'd stay for the rainy season, but other than that, they'd travel around. Um, And Ananda said, "Uh, I think it might be time to split because rumors are getting pretty nasty here. And the Buddha said, "Um, uh, well, what if we go to another village and there's rumors there as well? And then Ananda said, well, then we'll go to another village. The Buddha said, no, 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 no. no. As he said, I'll, I'll quote this, Ananda, the whole of India will have no place for us. Be patient. These abuses will automatically cease. We're not going anywhere. <clears throat> That's my words, the last, last line. And then he said a very um, famous um, teaching that I've used and thought of many times. Um, In this world, those who speak much are blamed. Those who speak little are blamed. Those who remain silent are blamed. In this world, no one escapes from blame. 
so have a little bit of, take some comfort in that. When people say things that are upsetting or um, unsettling, uh, it's a very good practice to just see how you can respond without getting more caught up in the energy field. One of the most famous lines, this is from the Dhammapada, after the, the first lines in the Dhammapada, we are what we think with our thoughts we make the world. And then right after those first verses, he says, look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Those are quotes. Live with such thoughts as these and you will live in hate. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. How can we... How can we be present for what's coming to us when it's negative and not get swept up in anger and hatred and um, just fuel the fire. Now, I don't want to set up some kind of an idealization where you think, oh, a good Buddhist doesn't get angry. If you're a Buddha, maybe that's so. But we have to be real. We have to be just where we are. And it's human to get angry. And in some ways, it can be healthy to not sit on your reactions, but to just feel everything you feel. But when it comes to moving from thought into words and actions, that's where you've got some choice. Are you creating more pain and suffering for yourself and for others? Or is there a way to somehow feel all the rage and the anger and the unfairness and the um, uh, frustration and somehow let it be experienced, held with a lot of compassion, move through you so it doesn't feel stuck and uh, come to a, a place of much deeper processing where somehow you don't take it personally. This is a very challenging practice, especially when you consider the fact that no one escapes from blame. It's going to come your way. The question is, how can you deal with it? How do you work with it so it doesn't poison you? We can, we're so vulnerable. 
You know, we're going along just, just fine, and then somebody gives you a dirty look, or they might just be have caught, gotten out of the wrong side of the bed and been a little snappy, and maybe not even having anything to do with you, but just their energy seems a bit sharp, and it can hit. And depending upon where you're at, if you're stressed or you're um, uh, sensitive for whatever reason, um, then it can land and really disturb you. This is just part of being human. But to allow for that humanness without getting wrapped up uh, this is this is challenging. Particularly, we want to look good. We want to not only feel that we're good, but we want to look good. We don't want to be seen as unskillful or insulted, insulting, or as offending. I I I uh, used to teach school. I was talking with Leticia. It's Leticia, right? Uh, at the break, and she was she was sharing about um, uh, her experience with working with kids, and um, I uh, was going to mention. So she reminded me. I, I used to teach school for many years uh, in New York, mostly fifth grade and sixth grade, and it was so striking how the most important priority at least that I saw, even more than getting good marks or looking good was avoiding looking bad. Avoiding seeing, seeming foolish or being, uh, being in, the, in the lens that said, oh, you are not good. You've blown it. It's so painful that we can't give ourselves the the space to be less than perfect. And this is a, a prison that we can live in. Because sometimes we do things that are completely innocent in our own mind, but do offend people. This has happened you know, a number of times. If you're in the Dharma seat... With, with not, to me, not with any intention, but just saying something that I didn't realize, but when it was explained to me, it made perfect sense why somebody would be hurt. So it's not that it's always just their warped reality, but it's that sometimes we do things, we're going around in our own reality that makes complete sense to us, and there is somebody else going out on in their reality that makes complete sense to them. And as, as the Dalai Lama says, if somebody upsets you, understand that it's not really that they're doing something to you. It's just that their internal reality has intersected with your internal reality in a way that doesn't meet your expectations. So one can say something Innocently, but obliviously or insensitively, uh, not with malice, but just with um, um, lack of awareness.
And so we make mistakes. So one of the challenges is to let it be okay to make mistakes. This is one of uh, my favorite passages. I haven't uh, read this in years, but used to read it a lot on retreats. Maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, written by uh, this woman, Nadine Stair, who is 85 years old when it was written. If I had my life to live over, I dare to make more mistakes next time. I'd relax. I would limber up. I'd be sillier than I have been on this trip. I would take fewer things seriously. I would take more chances. I would climb more mountains and swim more rivers. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. I would perhaps have more actual troubles, but I'd have fewer imaginary ones. You see, I'm one of those people who live sensibly and sanely hour after hour, day after day. Oh, I've had my moments, and if I had to do it over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I tried to have nothing else, just moments, one after another, instead of living so many years ahead of each day. I've been one of those people who never goes up anywhere, who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a raincoat, and a parachute. (laughs) If I had to do it again, I would travel lighter than I have. If I had my life to live over, I would start barefoot earlier in the spring and stay that way later in the fall. I would go to more dances. I would ride more merry-go-rounds. I would pick more daisies. So it means, why I, I share that is, um, it means uh, being willing to be just yourself, not so careful that you're going around on tiptoes, but be willing to um, realize that in your authenticity, you might either make mistakes that are, Um, hurtful to somebody or painful to them or that people might not like the way you, your style, how you handle yourself. How to deal with that? How to allow yourself to just be real and maybe ruffle feathers every now and then. And in fact, if you're somebody who cares deeply about things, then chances are you might consciously be ruffling feathers out of a deep sense of caring, out of a deep sense of conviction because your alignment with the truth is greater than you're wanting to play it safe. And that can create pushback. I, I'm, I'm considered generally a really nice guy. But if something doesn't feel right to me, um, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. So my... my challenge is to say what I say from as um, kind of place as possible, but uh, with firmness and, and clarity uh, as best I can. And I know that 
sometimes it, it's it's not going to uh, not going to be received with thank you for the feedback. Um, if I can, I'd like to have it communicated so that somebody actually does say thank you for the feedback. But not always. Sometimes uh, sometimes we have to take hard stands for things, and there's enough greed, hatred, and delusion in this world that it it takes courage to say the hard thing and shake up the status quo. And you will get blamed for that, as probably you can think of some public figures who don't always go along with, um, with the crowd and who, um, who get a lot of criticism for that. This is um, Nisargadat um, Maharaj who wrote this, or whose conversations are compiled in this brilliant book, I Am That. Mm-hmm. He, he lived about, he died about 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, just a little pointer, You cannot possibly say that you are what you think yourself to be. Your ideas about yourself change from day to day and from moment to moment. Your self-image is the most changeful thing you have. It is utterly vulnerable at the mercy of a passerby, a bereavement, the loss of a job, an insult, and your image of yourself, which you call your person, changes deeply. To know what you are, you must first investigate and know what you are not. And to know what you are, what, to know what you are not, you must watch yourself carefully, rejecting all that does not necessarily go with the basic fact I am. The idea is I am born at a given place, at a given time, for my parents, and now I'm so-and-so living at here, married to so-and-so, father of, employed by, and so on, are not inherent in the sense of simply I am. Our usual attitude is I am this. Separate, separate consistently and perseveringly the I am from this or that and try to feel what it means to be, just to be, without being this or that. All our habits go against it and the task of fighting them is long and hard sometimes, but clear understanding helps a lot. So he's pointing to what the Buddha points to. The less you take things personally, the less you are setting yourself up to defend against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, the less defensive you are, as we 
commonly say, the less things stick, where you can perhaps see what is being said to me. Because sometimes when there is some blame coming your way, there might be something to learn from it. If we're not so defensive that we close down, saying, oh, I can't bear that, I can't let that in, or how dare they, sometimes if it's really hit a sensitive button, it's because there's a sore spot there that has been stimulated. Ooh. Like the Buddha, if it's completely fabricated, then you know, you know, this whoever it is, is just completely either in their own reality or has something, uh, some kind of ulterior motive that doesn't have anything to do with you. You ever have that experience where it's the person is accusing you of something that is so completely different from what your motive is that there's no problem in it. It's just like, well, they're kind of weird, aren't they? Huh? And that, in, in some way, there's a kind of um, relief in the freedom of just knowing, not my problem. Bless you. I hope you get your life together. I hope you come back to planet Earth. You know, But it doesn't stick in the same way. But when somebody has kind of gotten there at a sore spot, and often it's the people who we're closest to that somehow know just that spot to get in. Isn't that the other side of deep intimacy? We can do the perfect dance with each other, and we know just how to step on each other's toes when you know somebody really well, and when you're kind of annoyed or frustrated or whatever, not that you consciously do it, but in your hurt, in your wounding, and when, you, when you're on the receiving end of that, as unfair as it might seem, there's some information there. What goes on that makes me feel like three years old when that comes in? It doesn't mean you have to completely take on the other person's reality, but it also but it does mean there's some information there. There's some growing. There's some. There's a sore spot, a sensitive spot that um, that can be illuminating, and to separate that from the fact of what your genuine intention was. Because in the end, that's, that's kind of what we have going for us. Our sincere intention of non-harming, even though we blow it, even though we might make mistakes, even though our patterns might come out in ways that that aren't so skillful, if we know in our hearts there was not malevolence, then it's information to help us grow. 
And as I often say, you know, I sometimes um, um, support people in their leadership. And I, I often say, um, you know, if you really want to develop and grow, be, not only be open to feedback, ask for feedback. And that's not an easy thing. Well, anything that you'd, you'd like to say that didn't work for you, you know. But in some ways, if you really, it's the best way to learn. And I've been learning for, you know, doing this for many years, and I hope I don't stop learning. And I actually invite you, I'm inviting you now, please, I want to grow. So give me feedback. Uh, if something doesn't work, that would be beneficial for me to know. But to have that kind of an, uh, a perspective where you're in the game to wake up rather than to be protective and be right, it, it, there's a kind of freedom that comes from that um, non-defensiveness. One of my f- a favorite stories of mine is Angulimala, uh, the, we've talked about him before for those who aren't familiar with him. He's, he was a serial killer who killed um, hundreds and hundreds of people. 999, as the story goes, until the Buddha helped him wake up and see the error of his ways. And he joined the order uh, became a monk, and when he'd go on alms rounds, though, uh, people didn't forget what he had done in his former lifetime. And so he'd go on alms rounds. He was, he was relatively peaceful, but people would throw stones at him. And he was saying, this is, this is not, what do I do here? And the Buddha said, would say, bear it nobly, Brahman. Bear it nobly. You know, this, is, this is part of your karma to, um, uh, to reap this response from your former lifetime. But if you can bear it nobly, and those words have served me well over the years, to bear it nobly and to not get reactive um, It's just, it's an ideal that, not that I always measure up to, but I know is, is the way to a deep, deep peace inside. So, before we open up to, oh, and I'll just say a few words about praise. Yeah, that's right, we are talking about praise and blame, yeah. So praise is a really... It's beautiful that people can appreciate you so. It's so lovely. And I think it's one of the most important practices to express your appreciation when you genuinely feel it to anybody. When, if it's sincere and appropriate, why keep it to yourself? Why not let them know that you've appreciated it? Because once you say it, then rather than you being the only one in on the appreciation, you um, uplift somebody else. 
you probably can think of people who have acknowledged you and in a moment you feel a deeper connection with them. Isn't that so? So I'm all in favor of appreciating, expressing your appreciation. But being on the receive and being on the receiving end is an art in itself, as I said before, that you can take it in and feel the gladness that somehow your being has uplifted someone else in some way and feel the the light in that, the wholesomeness of that, and at the same time not taking it personally. That whatever goodness touched them just came through you. Not, hey, aren't I pretty cool? But, oh, it feels so good to support somebody or be generous with them. And when they come back and say, thank you so much, to really take it in graciously, oh, I'm so glad. Without, I'm pretty cool in your mind. That's a beautiful practice. One of my favorite stories, uh, I didn't bring it with me, uh, to share it, but I, I, I know the story well, is of Ananda, who is um, the Buddha's attendant, the one who said, hey, maybe we better go to another village, um, who radiated loving kindness. And he goes to, um, uh, he's at a well, and uh, there's this woman at the well who is um, um, the, of the lowest caste. Um, actually an untouchable. And he asks for some water. And uh, she says, uh, oh, he says, could you please uh, give me some water? And she says, uh, oh, I could not give you water. I'm of a low caste. I, uh, it would be, um, you know, basically, I would contaminate you. You're too noble for me to to offer you water. And Ananda says, I didn't ask for your cast. I, I just asked for some water. And she's so moved by his mm, graciousness and acknowledging that she is so wor- as worthy as anyone of giving to, um, to a, um, a holy person that she falls in love with him and she follows him. And he's going back to the, to the monastery, to the Sangha, and she's following him and uh, just doesn't want to get him out of her sight. And then he finally goes to, uh, retires to his, his, uh, his hut and she goes up to the Buddha and she says, uh, I want to be with Ananda I, I love Ananda. How can I be with him? How can I serve him? I love him. And the Buddha says, my dear, it's not Ananda whom you love. It's his kindness that you love. And you have that same kindness. And if you can see that same kindness and generosity of heart in yourself as you see 
in Ananda, you will be higher than all the Brahmins and higher than any caste. <clears throat> I love that story. Because what it, what it says is, as you are sharing of yourself to others, and they say, thank you so much, you are so wonderful, you can delight in the goodness that's come out of you without taking ownership of it. And so there's, that's the way to complete the circuit of feeling appreciation and receiving the praise and not deflecting it, but really enjoying the circle of giving and receiving. And in your receiving in that way, you are giving that gift of generosity. So, I wanted to ask you to reflect. Just close your eyes for a moment. When I'll read a, f- a few words and you just see what, what comes to your mind. When someone praises me, and just see what your response is. Not good or bad, just being authentic. When someone praises me, you might say, I, whatever, or this happens. Let yourself just relax into that. And then, when someone blames me, I, or however you want to complete it, when someone blames me, my response is, And then, just reflect, what would help me remember to be true to myself, to remember my true self in the face of praise and blame? can open your eyes. Um, hmm. There's not, I was going to have you go into dyads, but there's not real time for that. So um, just open it up to anything that comes up from, from this topic and, or from that reflection that you might keep in mind. 
Otherwise, we'll go into dyads. Yeah. <laughs> here, uh, here, Ricardo, you can pass it. Um, I just wanted to offer or contribute a uh, a reflection on the sort of you were talking about praise and blame, and then a little closer. Uh, appreciation and feedback and you know can we hear blame can we hear the feedback or can Mm. we receive praise and hear the appreciation Mm. Mm -hmm. and one of the distinctions that I like to make about those is that blame and praise often are making some kind of judgment about us it's often you are fill in the blank whereas appreciation and feedback will often um, be more about the person's own experience and either what what worked for them, how it contributed to them, or what didn't work for them, and when you know what they were, what else they were hoping for. So it becomes less about us and more about them. Mm. And for me, keeping that in mind, even when I hear praise, it helps me to be able to remember, like, oh, this is actually about this person and the way that I contributed to them. So even if it's coming out as praise, I can sort of tune into and hear the appreciation behind it. And the same with blame. I don't have to take it personally, even though it's coming that way. Because I can understand, oh, this is actually about something that matters to this person that didn't really happen. And that might be feedback for me. Hmm. So just, I want to get be clear so, on it. Give me an example. And, uh, so, James, you're so wonderful. That was brilliant. That was amazing. You know? So then to be able to kind of recognize, like, wow, you know, I really touched something in that person. So mm. I might say, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, did, you, you, did you really learn something in the talk? Or... It sounds like you're feeling really inspired to practice more. Mm-hmm. You know, something really landed for that person. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that was completely irrelevant and mm-hmm. utterly banal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, you know, they were looking for some, you know, something uh, more meaningful for the situation they were in. Mm-hmm. So just tuning into their experience is their experience. Right, right. And the piece that's getting projected and... onto us is being information about... Mm-hmm about the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. That's helpful. And, and I, I do want to recommend uh, Oren with uh, nonviolent communication and, and why speech. It's, it's good stuff. Anything else? Yeah, here, just here, wait, wait, pass the, we'll get to the microphone. Uh, you talked tonight um, about it seems like mostly you were, um, when you were talking about blame, as um, that we didn't deserve, you know, we, when we were getting the blame, mm. that we didn't deserve it mm-hmm. and the wounding and stuff. Mm-hmm. What about when you feel like you are deserving of that blame? Mm-hmm. Uh, how to deal with that? Very good. Okay. Thank you for bringing that up. Let me first ask you. You're not alone in this, so I'm not putting you on the spot. Uh, it, the, none of us is blameless. Um, how, what would be the most skillful way when you know that you've caused some harm to someone and they're upset and blaming you? Well, to make, to make amends, uh, to go to that person and... But uh, those aren't always accepted. Um, and um, I tend to, you know, to get, to blame myself. There's a lot of self-blame. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
and I blame myself for things I've done to people. Um, but they're done, and mm-hmm. I can't undo them. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, intellectually, I know that, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, that doesn't always help. Mm-hmm. The damage is, you know, the damage has been done. Yeah. So, um, first, as you're saying, if, if you can make amends and... <clears throat> You know, when so, when somebody's hurt you and you and you share with them your hurt, if they cop to it and they're vulnerable enough to say, "I'm so sorry," um, not always, but often the heart opens up through one's own vulnerability. That's what softens the other heart. But not always. Sometimes we've done things that people aren't ready to, to open their heart and forgive, which is, you know, that's doubly painful because they're carrying that contraction and anger or trauma or whatever. So that, that can be even more of a source of pain for ourselves to know that we've caused that for somebody. So what I... Uh, what I reflect on is something that the the Buddha suggested, um, because um, if not, you're subject to a an unending cycle of guilt. And uh, guilt, I know about guilt. I come from a lineage of guilt. You know, it's part of our heritage. Um, uh, guilt is just self perpetuating. Where you you say, uh, "Oh, I'm I'm a rotten person," and so you either keep on thinking about how rotten you are and punish yourself that way, or go ahead and do something else that's unskillful to confirm what a rotten person you are. But uh, the the Buddha talks about wise remorse, where if you realize you've done something unskillful, first to confess it to somebody. If you can, to that, that person directly, great. If not, to somebody who you respect, whether it's an elder or a therapist or a good friend or somebody that... Otherwise, it's just weighing on your chest and, and inside, and it, we can implode with it. But just to, to really get it off our chest and say, I feel so bad about this. But then the Buddha talks about um, seeing in this wiser, remorse. What have I learned? How can I find some meaning in this so I don't keep on perpetuating it with my contracted mind, but just like Angulimala, who killed 999 people, he eventually actually became fully enlightened because somehow he saw, and the Buddha helped him see, that he's a different person now than he was when he committed those acts. And if somehow we can hold ourselves as a different person now, as somebody who is using those lessons to commit to waking up and acting in a different way in similar circumstances, then nothing is in vain. That, that's, that's how people become reborn and actually that's a story of angulimala where the buddha 
helps him see that he is he has been reborn. He is a noble one now. Um, and so that's that's what I do. Okay, I I blew it. I I you know I can think of things from my twenties that I've said this before. I say, oh my God, I can't believe I did that and that you know and that you know. But if you're cringing, it means it's good news that you're cringing because it means you're a different person. If you were saying, oh yeah, well that's what people do, you know, then then you got a problem. But if it's ooh, ooh then it means there's something inside of you that's changed. And you can even rejoice in that and make a commitment to do it differently from now on as best you can. Okay, so now it's time to go. So let's uh, take a few moments and just dedicate our evening. Just uh, You might bring your attention into your heart that place that can touch and be touched by others. And uh, just touch for a moment the sincerity and purity of heart that would move you to come and share a silence in the Dharma with others. Let yourself rejoice in that. And to hold with compassion all the places where you get stuck or caught or act unskillfully and to rejoice all the goodness that wants to come through. May I open to all the goodness and love that's inside and share it well. May I wake up to my true nature beyond self-image or even sense of self. And may we share all the goodness and merit that comes from our practicing together here with all beings everywhere. May all come to the end of their confusion and suffering. May all share their love well. May all wake up to their true nature and realize the highest peace and freedom. Thank you for your attention. Have a great week. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.